Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. Those were the words of Simon Pegg. I'm Luke Hector and you're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast. It's the post-Essen 2015 special, talking about the games I like, the games I didn't like, the experience, and how to effectively demo board games. But I can't do this alone, so the first occasion ever on the Broken Meeple, for the first time ever, there are special guests. I have Paul Grogan and Jacob Kuhn, both demoers in their lives, who can help me out on this journey. Hello everyone, Luke from the Broken Meeple here. It's the 21st of October 2015 as I'm recording this and officially Back to the Future Day if you've kept up with anything on social media lately. Back to the Future was one of my favourite trilogies so yes I've been going nuts with this and my mind is officially blown that watching the film is now about the past as opposed to the future. It's going to get all complicated I think. But this is a special post-Essen episode because you will have all seen my updates with photos and Twitter posts regarding Essen 2015, which I was at at the start of October, along with hopefully most of you lot. Now, this format, this sorry, this episode is going to be a bit of a different format to usual. Normally, I've got my first impressions, discussion, and then top 10. Well, top 10, that's not going to work because it's too soon after Essen to really say what the top 10 games of Essen were, despite being asked this on a regular basis. So normal service will resume from next month's podcast on the top 10 front, which I'll go over my top 10 gateway games, which is one I've been looking forward to doing for quite some time. For this one, though, I'm just going to talk about the sort of good and bad games that I came across at Essen, as well as talk about how people should be demoing games, the good and bads on that. However, I can't do it alone, so I put the word out to some celebrities that I knew on the board gaming front. Unfortunately, they didn't respond to my emails, so after that I just spammed Twitter and just basically got who I could get, really. So with me tonight, I have got Paul Grogan and Jacob Kuhn. Guys, if you'd like to introduce yourselves for me, starting with Paul, I'm sure most people know who you are already. I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if, if everybody knows who I am, but I'm, I'm Paul Grogan. I'm the guy behind Gaming Rules, exclamation mark. Um, I do videos, rule books. I, I work full time in the board games industry for various companies. Check Games Edition, Watch Your Game, uh, Golden Egg Games, quite a few really. So yeah, I, I get out there quite a bit. Oh yeah, okay. Um, well, Paul is definitely more of a celebrity than I am. That's for dang sure. Um, I'm mostly on Whose Turn Is It Anyway podcast and I write reviews uh, on that site as well. But I'm pretty much just the token American on uh, a couple European, well, European sources, I guess. He's effectively brought in to make certain that we're culturally diverse. Yeah, if you can consider white Protestant male from America as culturally diverse, (laughs) okay. (laughs) It's probably the most culturally diverse this podcast has gotten, so we're we're taking baby steps. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I could help. (laughs) Just bigging Jacob up for a minute, he doesn't just write reviews of board games, he also does a load of other board game related articles as well, which are a really good read on the uh, Whose Tone Is It Anyway website. Oh, thanks Paul. Yeah, I do that as well. Well, I say, big yourself up, you know, don't, <laughs> don't hold back. 
Um, yeah, but as I say, all three of us were at Essen, so, you know, all of us enjoyed it, and we were there in various guises, whether it was just, uh, being shopping all over the place or actually working there, in the case of Paul. Uh, so, in general, Essen for me, this is the first time I've ever been to Essen, and it was basically like a kid in a candy store. You know, as I'm walking around, as soon as I walk through those turnstiles at the front and I see all the colourful displays everywhere, the only thing going through my head is basically the song from, I think, was it like Willy Wonka in a Chocolate Factory where it's like, in a world of your imagination. <laughs> you know, it's like, because it literally was just slightly overwhelming at first. Yeah. <laughs> just, and that was just in Hall 3 where I came in and see Days of Wonder basically all over the shop and then you look, you turn around the corner and suddenly it spans on for miles it seems with all different stands so it was definitely a bit of a shock to the system but in terms of shopping around and finding out about all the different games and getting all the ones that I wanted certainly had a lot of fun and my wallet will probably not forgive me for quite some time but thankfully as I went there with the games quest crew I was able to loan, uh, sorry, loan, um, get a bit of space in the back of their van to carry most of my games back. So it, it meant I was able to go a little bit more nuts than the average goer. <laughs> you can spend even more money as well. Yeah, I, I pretty much had, because most people who've watched this know I'm an accountant on the side and I've, and sometimes I do a bit of side work. I basically just got paid from one client and decided, right, that's going to be my uh, budget for Essen, and just converted it and took it over there and just thought, right, I need games, games, games. Retail therapy. Yeah, I didn't even have a side job to do that, but I still spent a lot of money. <laughs> Everybody does when they go to Essen. That's kind of to be expected. But now I, I enjoy. I enjoyed it enough that I will be back there next year. I've already actually pre-reserved a hotel room for it, so that's definitely on on the cards. And hopefully, I'll be able to actually be a bit more obvious as to what, what podcast I do while I'm there. Because I did have a couple of people recognize me during demos, but when I'm walking around in casual clothes, like I say, you know, in terms of celebrity status, you know, Paul is a lot more well-known than I am. I, I, would, so. I wouldn't count on that. Maybe maybe three people, four people, maybe said hello. What you, what you, you know, I, I wouldn't use the term celebrity. I'm, I'm, I'm a little known, but when you've got big people there who are very well-known... The, the, the dice tower. The, yeah. There isn't much room for, for the smaller people. So it is nice for anybody who's listening to this who did come and say hello... It's nice, really appreciate it, but the days of walking down the corridor and getting noticed by everybody, there's only enough room in the fish tank for, you know, a certain number of big fish, and, um, you know, they're the ones that will always get all the attention, so I wouldn't worry about it, you know, I've been, that was my 15th year of going to Essen, and although I've only been sort of professionally working in the games industry, well, it's been a few years now, um, but you know the, the the chance of people coming up to me constantly and recognizing me and saying hello it's just not going to happen so unless you are as i say up there with the top with the top people that are really big and we're really well known well he's a celebrity around our way so <laughs> <laughs> i'm a celebrity in Columpton, definitely yeah Columpton and maybe like south south and southwest england that's a, yes. <laughs> we all know him But uh, first up, what we got? Well, yes, we need to talk about some of the games that we actually games. found there. Whether we, uh, yep, games, games, games. That's the whole point of this. Uh, particularly ones that we got to jump into demos. Whether we bought them or not is another question. 
But for good or bad, because as much as we love Essen and all the stuff that's there, that doesn't mean everything you get out of Essen is always a good thing. So it's always good to balance things out. Um, to start with, the first one I'm going to mention is, of course, the the big one. The one, that, the one that everybody was basically queuing up for at all times to play. And that was the... I suppose you could call it the pre-Kickstarter copy of Scythe, and I know the internet is going completely crazy with Scythe at the moment, especially now that uh, Stonemaier Games have just broken the 1 million mark on their Kickstarter, which, gotta hand it to them, it's good going. They know what they're doing when it comes to a Kickstarter project. But purely by fluke, I was able to sit down and actually give this one a try, albeit for about two rounds of play, because by the time it was explained to five players, there wasn't a huge amount of actual time left. But it's got promise. It, I mean, obviously they were using pre-Kickstarter components, so I know it would be improved by the later date, but it still looked pretty good from where it was. And this artwork is something that I want to have in a graphic novel. Yeah, I, I want a storyline that I can read where you've got images of people working on farms and industrial mechs in the background. It just looks good. Yeah, the artwork and the, and the setting of the game was a big draw from when this was first announced, which was quite a long time ago now. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of buzz about this game for for a long time. Yeah, earlier in the year, well, no, sometime last year I think it first got put around. But the game itself, it's essentially area control, but you've got some aspects of resource management and the ability to upgrade not only the types of mechs you use, but also the various ways that you can get them built or structures that you can build, etc. It's asymmetrical in the sense that you start at different ends of the board it's not a symmetrical board everybody's got unique powers they're all different different abilities there's different ways to actually get points whether you want to go for combat or more of a resource management or by other means there seems to be quite a lot of choice available we're not talking sandbox level but certainly enough to give it more of a variety i think the favorite part i had even though it was only two rounds of play is that there's these little counters that they've got on locations where if your main guy goes and explores it on the map you draw these encounter cards that give you not only a really cool picture from this uh, artwork but usually three different choices that you can make and they'll, they'll give you like a bit of a story with them so you know you you might choose to rouse the troops and go off and hunt somebody down or you might choose to just take it easy and stay in camp that kind of thing but each one will then have a different reward. You know, you might gain this, you might gain some resources this way, you might gain some combat power another way. And I, I don't know, I just like that. I always like the story-driven encounter cards with games. That's why I like the Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror stuff so much. So you got a demo for two rounds. Because I, I, yeah, I saw um, uh, Jacob was there with Ben Maddox. Ben, uh, sorry, Ben Maddox. And he was, they, they were getting a demo of it as well. So how many rounds did you play, Jacob? Uh, we play, played probably about four maybe at most okay. and how long how many rounds would the game be in total just roughly do you know uh a lot more than that because we did not get very far at right. all okay yeah we we didn't have to think about long-term planning it was literally just to see how mechanics worked. i mean the playing time on board game geek does say about two hours and i reckon that's probably a decent estimate okay okay so but... you, you you were getting taster sessions yeah, in in this case, it was it's, it's too long a game. It's too involved a game, especially even rule wise. I mean, it's not the most complicated game in the world, but there's certainly plenty to teach. We're probably talking more than 
the likes of something like viticulture for example in terms of actual rules but this has got promise i'm still in two minds about whether to back it or not i'm trying to keep my kickstarter expenditure down a little bit after last year but certainly this was one i'm going to keep a lookout for i'm just not going to be blasting it over the internet every single day like the rest of the internet seems to be yeah (laughs) so what about games that were available at essen available uh well one that i actually did buy in the end was the the two-player raptor game by kafala and vadudi that one i didn't actually think i was going to get it at first because normally two-player games are difficult for me to get to the table most of the time i'm at a group session and you know two players not a common thing yeah same with me i don't don't do many two-player games yeah, although I made an exception this time with Sem Wonders Duel because I, I knew that was going to be a, a good one. But Raptor was a two-player game where it's asymmetrical again. One side plays the scientists and one play, one person plays the mother raptor and, and her little babies. You know, are cute. But it's... I always like to call it like a prequel to Jurassic Park. The scientist's job is to go in and capture three of the raptor babies and the raptor's job is to evacuate at least three of the raptor babies away so it almost feels like the jurassic park prequel but the cool way this works is you've got a modular board laid out which is different every game there's some like spaces you can move and some terrain that you can't get over etc and your pieces are laid out and you can bring in more but the key aspect of the game is the card play each person's got a set of nine cards with a special ability on them and they're different for each side so the scientist ones are completely different from the one that's on the raptor side the cool concept with this is that each person plays the card down simultaneously face down and they're revealed and the way it works is that whoever played the lowest number gets to use the special ability of the card whoever played the highest number gets to take the difference in the two card numbers in basic actions like move around the board wake up babies that are sleeping that kind of thing so you're constantly trying to get in your opponent's head as to what cards have been played what they're likely to play for abilities and whether you think you could get away with a really crafty like oh he's played a two i've played a nine you know yeah you can do your action but i get seven basic actions to do and completely swarm around on my turn and you only have you've got a small deck you've only got three cards to choose from at a particular time so you don't ap like crazy and but you have got a card that shuffles them all back into your hand so it's a bit like what you see in things like uh i think um, havana and a couple of other games use that similar thing a deck of nine cards and then you play one you get them all back to your hand that kind of thing but it's really cool really quick 25 minute game very easy rules the fact that they're asymmetrical is a big hit with me because I do like that in games, you know, having two different sides where it plays completely differently. And it's just a cool little cheeky theme. You know, scientists going in and capturing raptor babies while the mother raptor is like, oi, you know, and either trying to cause them to essentially cower in fear or occasionally eat them in a non gory fashion. I've actually heard that that is not the original theme for that game they originally had it was based on the lord of the rings and it was um the, like the hobbits versus the okay. spiders it doesn't surprise like me that. i can't remember specifically but that's what it was if it had been if it had been the hobbit versus the spiders i wouldn't have gone near the game at all for two reasons one i would have hated the fact that they were cashing in on the hobbit theme or the lord of the rings theme because let's face it we got enough of those as it is 
as much as I like Lord of the Rings. But also, if you made a game where it's a case of, right, it's you versus the spiders, I don't think I would have wanted to go anywhere near it on principle because I'm one of the world's biggest arachnophobe. So <laughs> I don't think I would have wanted to be playing against them or even as them <laughs> because you'd have little spider miniatures all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Plus, retheming it to, uh, you know, Jurassic Park type thing to tie in with the latest film. Yeah. It's, it's common for games to be rethemed based on what's cool at the moment or what's just coming out at the moment. I suppose, yeah. I mean, I suppose it did come out around that point. I don't know whether the intention was to make it to link up with the Jurassic World one. I mean, I'm glad they went with this theme because it, it pays no. there's no references in it to Jurassic World. It's its its own standalone theme. But the theme is just... It's just quite an amusing one <laughs> where you're, you know, your scientists can not only try and put you're basically the scientists are going around with dark guns they're putting the babies to sleep you know tranquilizers but there's two ways that each person can win the typical way to win is the scientists capture free babies or the mother evacuates free babies but the mother can win if she's able to eat all the scientists um and the i believe that's the case but there's definitely a way that the scientists can also win by tranquilizing the mother five times if she gets five of these little sleep tokens on her she basically falls asleep and it's an automatic victory that's a lot harder than it looks but i came close <laughs> when i was testing it out but instead i was just able to capture three babies and actually get out of there but uh, a couple of scientists did lose their lives but really quick little game i didn't think i'd was going to grasp onto it. I know it's a two-player only game. That is its only downside, but that's a personal nitpick. But in the end, Gafala was there signing boxes. It was a cheap game. I thought, yep, that's in the collection. Okay. So what else did you get to try that uh, any of the other big games that were there? Time Stories, Pandemic Legacy... I mean, you mentioned Seven Wonders Duel. That was one of the big ones. So. Yeah, I didn't get. I didn't try out Legacy because I'm still no. in two minds about that one. Uh, Time Stories, yeah, that was an impossible to even get a seat on that one. Yeah. So I held fire with that. Seven Wonders Duel, I did get to try, and it and was you bought as, it. It was as good. Yeah, I bought it. It was as good as I expected it to be because yeah. I won't touch the two-player variant in Seven Wonders no, with a barge pole. Like it. It's yeah. horrible with the dummy player. Yeah. And but this one basically goes right. Well, if you like the way Seven Wonders works, here's a few tweaks to the rules and a unique way to play it, and it yeah. works. It's if you've played Seven Wonders, you can learn this in about five minutes flat because most of it is exactly the same. They just change a couple of terminologies and add a couple of tweaks to how yellow cards work and how the trading rule works. The trading rule is actually really good in it because. Normally in Seven Wonders, you pay two bucks for every resource to the neighbor next to you, and that was it. With this, you pay two bucks to the bank, but it costs an extra one per resource for every single one of that that the opponent generates. Okay. So yeah. if your opponent's generating free wood and you haven't got any, it's going to cost you five gold every time you want to get a wood. Wow. And okay. money is tight in this game. It is tight. But to balance it out, the ability to discard a card when you don't want to use it, you will get two gold plus one for every yellow card you've got. So it makes them a little bit more useful as well. So there is that back and forth with the money side of it, and it is tight, but it works quite well. Every, you're constantly trying to think, oh, I need this, but I don't want to give my opponent that, mainly because of those two tracks on the side with military and science, where if somebody gets enough science symbols, they win automatically, and if someone gets their military token all the way to the far end, they win automatically. It's a cool way. It doesn't often end in that way, 
at least I think you'll end with victory points more often than not but then saying that I did play this the other day with somebody I just knew from the club and we had a bit of a tense game and then eventually I made a bit of a tactical error in realizing how many turns he'd be able to get in a row with certain abilities and he managed to basically dominate me with military victory so uh the span he was a Spanish bloke as well so the Spaniards basically conquered my uh, civilization and fair play to him but nah cheap cheerful got it signed as well I've got a sketch artist drawing of a, a legionary or whatever they're called um out of the box because we had Bruno there it was Antoine Balzer there and also I'm, I hate the fact I can't remember his name but we had the artist there as well and you know the signatures take about two seconds and his sketch drawing takes about five minutes you know so yeah. but fair play he knows what he's doing right well I've done three good games uh, before I even mention any bad ones I think it's about time to let someone else have a go so come on one of you two what do you play well, I, I didn't play that much at the show. I didn't play anything at the actual show itself because I was working most of the time and stuff like that. So my, my my limited game plays were in the evening and I only played two different games while I was there. So I can't really tell you the top three games I played. I can only tell you the two different games that I did play, uh, which was Nippon from Watch Your Game and Grand Austria Hotel. Um, ended up playing Nippon twice because we played it on the first night on the Thursday and then a group of my friends because uh, I was banging on about how good it was they wanted to play it on the Saturday so I I, I didn't play a new game I, I helped them and taught them and played it again on the Saturday night um, yeah now my involvement with Nippon was that I helped watch your game with the rule book for it but I didn't do any playtesting really or development on the actual game itself but I knew it was going to be good because the designers did Madeira um, which was my favourite game of 2013 so I was really really looking forward to this and then when I started working on the rules I was like yeah I'm really really going to enjoy this game so I was I was really wanting to play it as soon as I could and I really really enjoyed it I've played it three times so far and it's probably going to be my favourite game of this year now, I've only played it three times, and I've not played all of the other games that I brought back for Messen, but it's so good. Big praise indeed, so, I, yes. I must admit. I didn't go near this one while I was at Essen. It wasn't high up on my list, because I mean, you showed me Madeira when I came around for GridCon, and Madeira mm-hmm. was alright. Uh, mechanically, it worked fine, just theme-wise, it's not the theme I tend to go for. So when I found, found out that this was effectively like the follow-up by the same people i was thinking all right is this going to be another one where it's mechanically good and the theme's not necessarily there and the i remember posting on your thing earlier where you put up a picture of the board and i almost thought you were playing madeira because it almost looked identical yes yeah but it's a lot less complex um so if anybody was scared by madeira thinking oh it's way too heavy for us nippon is uh, finger in the air half the complexity um, but the gameplay was really good. So, I mean, you know, I, I taught it last night to people at the Games Club and it's a lot more accessible than in Madeira. It was a lot easier to teach. People picked it up. But, yeah, excellent game. In terms of how it plays, I'd have to sit down and, and actually compare, but I think it's completely different from Madeira. Even though it looks similar, but that's because it's the same same artist and graphic designer and everything else. So all of what's your game's games have a 
a similar look to them. Yeah, yeah it, it certainly is one that if somebody brings it to the table, probably around MidCon actually, because I'm going to be there in November, and you do tend to get quite a Euro game, so I'd be surprised if someone didn't bring it. It's one I'll probably jump yeah. into though, because as much as Madeira was a kind of, yeah, that's all right, but a little heavy to teach people and stuff like that this one at least with the theme being japan uh feudal japan orientated does actually catch my interest a bit more well it's the end of the feudal era of japan it's the uh, it's the massive industrialization in such a, such a short space of time and the theme is there in the game if you want it to be okay you can play this game purely mechanically by building a train putting it on the board what does it do it gets me to influence there you go what you could do is you could play the game and go, right, actually, I'm supplying silk to this city here. By building up my train network, I'm able to deliver that silk faster and more efficiently, which is getting me more influence in that region. So it isn't the kind of game where they just threw all these mechanics in and then went, oh, right, we need a theme that will fit. Um, industrialization of Japan. Let's throw all of this in. The theme came first, and what they did is they looked at all of the things that happened during that period in history, which I knew nothing about at all, but having worked on the rules, I, you know, went and did some research into that period in history, and I found it pretty fascinating what actually happened in Japan at that time. And what happened in Japan at that time is that there was this, you know, massive spread of the rail networks. So everything that happened in that period in history in Japan, they've put into the game, and they've put it in in such a way that mechanically it does fit with what is actually happening in the game. So it isn't a Euro game with a theme pasted on. Yeah, it's not Terra Mystica. <laughs> it, no, it's not Terra Mystica. Um, yeah, so so the the theme's there and the way that it works. Um, but yes, I, it, it's like they kind of designed, you know, what would be my perfect game. Um, it's 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 got the right amount of complexity, you know, really, really interesting decisions, uh, I've played it three times now and done a completely different strategy in every game. I've won all of my games so far, but to be fair, everybody's learning the game. So, you know, once, once people have learned the game, they normally get better than me. But, um, yeah, I just really, really enjoy, enjoy your victories while it lasts. While <laughs> it lasts. ego for a little bit and then... <laughs> yes. And then it'll come back. Well, I mean, we're all playing the game. I, I just decide that I'm going to do... Better. X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and X, Y, and Z just happens to win. Um and then the next game, I did I did PQ&R, and that one as well. So I'm obviously you know, reasonably good at the game to have won the three that I've played so far, but yeah, we're all just sort of playing around and experimenting. With I think it. you sometimes get better at a game if you really do get into it a lot. I mean, the, the games I've played of Kanban so far have resulted in mostly victories, and I know that's a difficult one for other new players yeah. to win, but just because the theme kind of drips off that one for me, it's one that you just sort of get into, and I suppose you just notice the... Uh, the way everything links together but nah Nippon I'll, I'll give it a look if somebody brings it to the midcon I'll be very surprised if no one does because <laughs> it's pretty much like Euro heavy these uh, uh, midcon and manacon ones so somebody's going to yeah. have it so I'll happily jump in at that point uh, what about your second game? Uh, Grand Austria Hotel so I got back <laughs> what? <laughs> um, Friday night from the Fantasy Flight Games party and I was buzzing because I was like I've just been to the Fantasy Flight Games party so I came back to the hotel all full of full of energy um, Vital Lacerda had just arrived back at the hotel as well so we were like oh, let's play a game 
and we got yeah. a Grand Austria yeah. Hotel. Now, none of yeah. us knew this how to This is the thing play. with Paul. I say. He, may, he may say he's not a celebrity in any way, shape or form, but we're still highly yeah, yeah. jealous of him because he is able to <laughs> go to these parties and actually meet I just, these I people. just dressed up as Vlaja and sneaked in. I got my face mask Um <laughs> So yeah, we sat down to play it. None of us knew the rules, uh, so none of us knew how to play. So we got it out and we learnt the rules as we played, um, and it's it's all right. There's nothing spectacular about the game. It wasn't oh my god, this game's amazing, but we all enjoyed it. So you know, to find a game that we all played and we all enjoyed it, that was okay. The themes there, but I found it, I found a number of the mechanics in there not explainable thematically. And it did feel like more of an abstract Euro game with the theme pasted on. Having just said that Nippon isn't that, this has a theme in there, but some of the way that the mechanics work, you have to prepare the rooms in this particular order. And it's like, well, why? If you've got a hotel, you just prepare whichever room you want. But, you know, there's there's things in there. So it's a sort of, you know, solid, light to medium weight, standard Euro game. If you like that kind of thing, then then you'll probably like that one. It's the first I've heard that one, actually. I was a bit... Bit like what? What, the, what on earth? When you said that title, I must have missed that one. Yeah, I I almost missed it, but then um, somebody pointed out to me uh, a few weeks before Essen, and I asked them, "Would I like it?" From what you've read about it, and they said, "Yes, you'd like it." So it went onto my radar, um, and I managed to get a review copy of it. So I'm actually going to be doing a, a full review of it. Um, at some point, but I want to play it a few more times before that. Oh, I'll have to prepare for that one then. Uh, the silent Jacob over there in the corner, I don't, uh, we'll let him out of the corner now. Is it, have you got any games to share? Yeah, um, I played a decent amount at the actual fair. One's not out yet, but um, it was really good. It's Guilds of London by Tony Boydell, uh, and it's going to be really good. I think it's a fantastic game. It should have been there, but some publishing issues happened, so it wasn't there. But yeah. I was going to say, I thought I was out of touch there for a second. I thought that's the second in a row that I hadn't heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't for sale, but they had an almost finished uh, copy of it that they were demoing, and I sat down and played it, and I really enjoyed it. It was uh, some area control uh, card play. Cards had uh, multiple... Um, options for each one so you could do a wide variety of things on each of your turns and oh i do like yeah, that <laughs> and it was just really cool because you're fighting over these guilds so if you win the first guild at the top left then you'll get a bonus and you can immediately move or you'll gain something that may affect other guilds and trigger them to be uh resolved as well so it's a lot of thinking um as to how you can outmaneuver other people. Board looks interesting. There's a lot of symbology all over it. Yeah, they're all the London guilds. Mm. I mean, I'm 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 friends with Tony. I've known him for oh, God knows, fifteen, sixteen years or something like that. So uh, you know, but so so my unbiased opinion of this game is based on what everybody who's played it has told me. Yeah. In that it's great. So this is going to be one of the one of the great games from next year it was supposed to be this year and i interviewed him on my podcast just after he found out that it wasn't going to be this year and he went through the reasons why um but yes that that's going to do really well next year just because and it's not it's not buzz like we've got with scythe and pandemic legacy um it's 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 real and i'm not saying they're fake buzz but it's real 
real buzz and real good opinions because yeah. people are playing it and people are saying it's really good. I think really it's good. probably the the theme in certain games or like the history of a particular game or publisher is going to naturally give it a bit more buzz. I mean, when it comes to Stonemaier games, as soon as anything gets mentioned about Kickstarter with Stonemaier, it's buzz. It's buzz. And Pandemic Pandemic yeah. Legacy, you're taking one of the uh, most popular co-op games of all time and then slapping Legacy on it. So naturally, that's going to get a ton of buzz. Exactly. So yeah, so I'm not saying that they are generating fake buzz. I'm saying that they are generating buzz just because of the name yeah. of what it is. Whereas Guilds of London is generating buzz because it's a great game and people are playing it. It, sound, really it sounds alright. I mean, the one of the recent Euros I bought was that Lagrania one, again, one that you showed me. I think I think Gridcon resulted in a few mm-hmm. purchases afterwards. But... Yeah, <laughs> nah, 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 more games in the collection. <laughs> but the, the thing that dragged me onto that one was the whole thing of cards having multiple uses. Imperial Settlers has that uh, yeah. gimmick as well that uh, it basically draws me in because I like to have the variety. I'm just a sucker for variety. You know, games are games need to be like a, a big wine and cheese board or something for me. You know, it needs to have lots of different options. <laughs> bit of this and a bit of camembert. Yeah, or a tapas green. feast. You know, yeah. I always like tapas. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds... Even though the theme Guilds of London doesn't suddenly grab me, the mechanic sounds pretty good though, so I'll have to have a look out for that one. Yeah. So so next year will be the tenth year anniversary of that <laughs> game. Yeah. <laughs> nah, fair enough. Um anything else on the front, Jacob? Yeah, one that was um, there? <laughs> well, yes. I actually have played Pandemic Legacy um since I've been home. And I can't say much about it other than Yeah. Um... <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> other than I've played let me guess, there's some diseases and there's Gosh, an outbreak. And... You guys already listened to all the spoilers, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, there's a medic know, in there somewhere. Isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, um, I, yeah, like I said, I can't say much because it'll spoil it immediately. But well, you, um, can talk, you can talk about the aliens that invade and wipe out South America. You can talk about that one, can't you? No. Or the betrayer, <laughs> the betrayer mechanic that is added in. And, and the way that you actually have to physically give another player an illness if you lose a game and stuff like that. No, it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it literally comes with a syringe that has disease in it. Must... <laughs> We're all very bad people. Oh. <laughs> now, Legacy, I, must admit, I didn't get a chance to play it, but I did look at it. I mean, it, you know, it looks pretty much like a pandemic board with some extra bells and whistles on it. Uh, enough people I know locally have bought it, and I think I'm expecting a review copy, hopefully, in the next month. I don't know for certain, but that'll be an interesting one, because Pandemic I burnt out on a little while ago, but I still respect it for being a decent gateway co-op game, so I wonder whether the legacy mechanic will be that thing that just basically that makes me go, aha, now we've got a bit more theme in this game, now I'm going to latch onto it. <laughs> Uh, I think it yeah, will. Yeah, it absolutely does. That's all I will yeah. say, but I played twice. So just two games, and it we made it through. We're now into February, and there's already more theme in it that is realistic. Yeah, as opposed to, like I say, the original one got a bit abstracted most of the time. It wasn't until In the Lab came out that I kind of went, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, I'll play this a bit more because that one did add a little bit of theme, even though that's a fairly abstract bit as well. Now, this one does sound pretty good. I've not tried a Legacy game. Well, there's only two. I haven't tried Risk Legacy, so you know it's going to be a first for me. And no, viewers, Viticulture is not a... Tuscany is not Legacy. (laughs) He just (laughs) took the word and stapled it on there. (laughs) 
Well, he's always said it's a legacy style game. It's got nothing to do with legacy. If I want to meet yeah. the one person out there who has played Viticulture Tuscany in the manner that the rule book suggests, <laughs> which is the oh, whole the whole thing of right, play a basic game now. Whoever won get to choose the next tier expansions that go in. I want to meet the one person who's played it that way. <laughs> well, you have met. Me. Well, when when we first got Dominion back in uh, when was it two thousand and yeah, whatever. We kind of played Legacy because we, we, we did it with the initial 10 cards and whoever lost the game chose which of the 10 decks to remove and whoever won the game chose which deck to add in. And we played a series of games over a number of hours and went through all of the basic cards. So yeah, we kind of did it. We did Dominion <laughs> Legacy. There you go. I've just we just created a new game. Oh, I'm going to make it <laughs> Dominion Legacy. That's going to be on Kickstarter. Dominion Kickstarter Legacy next year, coming from Czech Game Editions. <laughs> no, coming from Paul Grogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you need screw, screw those CG guys. Well, if you need the accountant, let me know. <laughs> but... <laughs> you do know what my girlfriend does. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's too connected. You know, you'll get you'll get. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Exactly. She's too so. close. <laughs> so it's either, you have to, have to either take me or lose the girlfriend. So no. <laughs> Okay, so you can edit this bit out where I announce what the best game next year is going to be. I think the viewers, I think it would be great. Yeah. Spark a, an, outra- an outrage with the uh, ten people who listen to this podcast or something. They'll be all, all over tweet, Twitter <laughs> tweeting about Dominion Legacy. To be honest, that actually sounds like a cool way to play it, especially when you got a bunch of expansions. Yeah, that's what we did. Well, it was just when we when we got the game, we got we first got the game, and we you only have the twenty five cards. And we liked the game, and we wanted basically one session to go through all of the cards. So I came up with that way of rotating somehow, and we probably rotated two out each time or something like that. And then over yeah seven or eight games, you've seen all of the cards, and every game is slightly different, and it evolves. I have to try that out because my Dominion copy so. does need to come off the shelf at some point soon. It's been a yeah. been a while, and that would be an interesting way of playing it. And I have to do this on the podcast at some point, actually. See how many different ideas we can come up with by bolting a legacy or tier mechanic Just, yeah. onto a game that's already out, and see how you change it. But. <laughs> would be quite yeah. cool. So did anyone play any games that were that didn't particularly like with Essen? I mean, I'll start off with one that was... Well, I'll briefly go over two. First, there was the terror game that Bezier were doing, the one that was effectively a cross between a trivia game and Wits and Wagers. I did get to play a full game of it, and yes, it looks nice, even though you don't really need it to look that great, because you're effectively just putting cubes on the map at the end of the day and then the, on a couple of tracks for numbers and a timeline. And it works. I mean, it's better than most standard trivia games, but then that's not really saying much. But effectively, you'll get a question that says, you know, where is this or where is what, what is this particular thing? And it will give you several countries that you can, or several countries, a number of them that are on the board that it relates to. And they can be ocean areas, they can be parts of the continent but it also might ask you let's say let's say it gives you a landmark a tower it will not only say where is it on the map but it will also say you can go for how tall it is in meters and when it was built now it's okay but the problem with it is that the main gimmick with this is the wits and wages thing that you can if you get points for getting it right but also points if you think someone else knows it as well that works fine in Wits and Wages in a party game. I don't think it works very well as a geography lesson game or geography and history lesson, especially when some of the questions you get are 
very different in how com- difficult they are. You'll get some where they are so easy that everybody just congregates on the same spot. But then you'll also get the ones like, as I say, tall. how tall is this tower in meters? And it's like, how on earth would I know? You know? <laughs> there was one in there, I think, uh, I can't remember, the, the. it was a dam. There's like a hydro dam or something in the uh, North Sea, Baltic Sea area. I forget what it was called, Delta Unit or something. And one of the bits I asked you for was the number of dollars it cost in, like, to do and it, I mean the number track goes from like zero all the way up to like a few billion or something and it's just like what that's not general knowledge you have no way of knowing that you are just guessing so what surprised me about about this game is because there obviously is a market for these type of games um but not by Bezier games and not by Freedom and Freezer that that's what that's what puzzled me you know I would have expected to see a game like this in one of the sort of family areas. Yeah, harbour or something. Um, yeah, something like that. Because, yeah, there is a still a market for these types of games and you will find them in, you know, bookshops around the country. But, yeah, the, the publisher and the designer, I was like, what? This doesn't seem to fit. But, Jacob, you spent four days demoing this game. So, what's your angle on it? Well, I think it's good for what it is. Um, if you don't like trivia games, don't even bother. Yeah. But what it does do well is it allows anyone to have at least a shot at getting points. I kind of feel bad because I think um, Jacob was actually one because, of the person who actually demoed it to me, actually, come to think of it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was. <laughs> and it's okay if you don't like the game when I demo, as long as you understand. Oh, the, the demo. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the yeah. rules were clearly explained. It was fantastic. <laughs> Hashtag go out of that one. <laughs> yeah. So I think there are some things in the game that allow you to um, have a little catch-up mechanics. So if you don't really know, um, when you have three or less teams, you might as well just guess. That will allow people to um, make up some points instead of just having the one person run away with there it. There was one card that did cause a bit of not not controversy but a bit of a like okay what it it the question was something like uh, where are the most intelligent people and yeah Devin. we wish but <laughs> but it gave you eight different like um territories that you could choose all of which were basically the entirety of the USA <laughs> so, I couldn't help but think of whether that was like whether that is official as official statistic, or whether that was just because because isn't Bez, is Bezier an American publisher? I'm not sure. Yeah, it just that yeah. just felt yeah, like are. okay. Are you actually serious about this statistic, or are you just brown nosing here? Because <laughs> but the designer is oh, yeah true. So the designer, I'm assuming it was that was more down to Friedman. Yeah, quite Bezier. true. It, it that was just yeah, such a weird I, question to get that... out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is probably Silicon Valley. Yeah. Because you have all of the computer nerds that go there, whether they're from the US or not, that's a completely different story. That's where they are now. So it did yes, make the question a little bit weird with the cubes because it gave you eight different places you could go, but the USA portion only has, I think, eight or nine actual territories. So let's face it, if everyone just unloaded their cubes onto the USA in various places and scored a bunch of points. It didn't give you any chance to get the question wrong. Unless you went for the uh, 
the year or the size or which the, nobody was going to do because we all yeah. basically just we yeah. just crowded <laughs> well, onto that one so i mean it kind of works but i mean with, trivia games aren't my favorite anyway but at home when i go to visit the parents i bought my dad about four or five of those um boxes they had in wh smith with the two like 500 trivia cards and it just has like six questions general knowledge and you literally just ask each other and whoever gets the most points from stealing answers and that wins you know simple and it's done and dusted in about 20 minutes you know if you're going to play a trivia game that just seems like the way most people would probably do it the i mean terror is not that long a game i'll certainly give it that but it can potentially go longer if you do more than six questions so i don't know there's a market for it i just don't know how big it's going to be um, yeah, the other one that again there's probably a market for this but I couldn't quite see what the buzz was about it was uh, Ludi Creations and we'll get on to Ludi Creations later with the whole demoing discussion topic but there was a little two player game that was called And Then We Held Hands yeah a lot of buzz about that one a lot of buzz mainly I think mostly do with the artwork more than anything else which... and the theme as well yeah, the, the this the theme is what I had a massive row with one of our Games Quest lot about this. <laughs> you know, in terms of where's this theme? Now, artwork, it's nice. I don't know if it's the same because it's a lady who doesn't, isn't it? Yeah, Marie. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. is it the same person who did a uh, Dixit artwork, or is it just the fact that it's similar to that? I think it's the same person. Uh, it is the same. She also does. Yeah. Dixit, so yeah. the artwork is nice. You know, it it looks good. It's well drawn in that whether it needed that sort of artwork is another thing because effectively what you end up with is this little board with three rings and different colored dots all over it and you both start off at opposite ends you've got these little gems that you move around on the rings that and you've got a hand of cards you can both see each other's hand you're not allowed to talk to each other which is probably the half the best thing about the game <laughs> not for being antisocial, but it just adds that little bit of an extra twist and the idea is is that you've got to play cards either from your own hand or your opponent's hand to match the colors and you've got these objective cards that you've got to exhaust this objective deck which basically just means aim for red or aim for blue or something and once you've got that deck exhausted you need to have ended up in the center played i think the same to, like, you've got to have everything in balance and the way this balancing work is just this little track in front of you with uh, minus two, minus one, zero plus one, plus two different colours and as you play a card this shifts from left to right and at the end of the game you've got to be both on zero. The theme is supposed to be, as far as I can tell about balancing your emotions and you know being at one, like I don't know, harmony or something with your opponent well, it's a it's a relationship between two people, I believe, that's that's broken down, and it's about these two people reaching a compromise and getting back together. Hence, and and then we held hands, which I don't think's ever been done in a board game before. It's not a subject which you know a few years ago I would have thought anybody would ever do, and I think it's brilliant that now that we're in this golden age of gaming, as I call it, as a lot of people call it, that we've got a game like this. Because um, it's just branching out into into so many different areas. Well, this was the probably the cause of the row that I had with the colleague because I you've mentioned like effectively a theme about it. I don't know whether I'm an emotionless robot or something, even though I can get emotional, uh, or I just wasn't spotted it. But I just could not get the theme of it. It was effect as far as I saw. It was just a two-player abstract game where you couldn't talk. 
and you just played cards and hoped that you got to the center and linked up. It was meant it was okay. meant to be quite a difficult game, but even though I didn't know this guy in front of me, you know, I'd only just met him, we completed it, did play by the rules, no problem, you know, we didn't do extra communication or anything, and it just seemed really easy. I don't know whether we were just good or we yeah. got lucky, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know the game. I've not read the rules and I've not played it, but I just think, you know, it's, it's probably not the kind of game that I would play and I would enjoy playing, but it just sounded like a great idea for a game that might open up board gaming to a to a wider group of people. But from what you've described, it does sound like an abstract, an abstract game moving counters around a board and trying to get them in the middle. Yeah, which, like, when I heard about the theme of it and everyone buzzing about it, I just thought, seriously? Is this what we're on about? Because it's... It's unique-ish, but then I don't think the concept of restricted communication is that new, because Hanabi came no. out first with the whole... Well, actually, no, I don't mean first that used the concept, but it was, like, well-known, won the award as, as Spiel Diaris and everything like that, and that was restricted communication. But the idea was, with this, that, you know... The, yeah, I said the grizzled, you know, recently did a review that's restricted communication as well so yeah I, I like the concept i like that mechanic but i don't think it's a groundbreaking you know new thing so i just could not understand what this game was trying to achieve and i think that's what caused the sort of like friendly row between my colleague because he was seeing a lot more into this than i was as he going on about it's about it's a you know, balancing the emotioning and stuff like that, and it's like, what are you on about? We're just moving gems around a board, I don't know. Right. So the theme is not really, the setting is there, but the theme, you're saying, is not really present in the game. I can't see, yeah, the setting is nice, and I like the storyline behind it, and the artwork is nice, but effectively, you are just playing colour cards and trying to match them up. You know, the fact that the the yeah. fact that the reds are angry and the blues are sad and the green are cheerful or whatever they're called, you know, pretty much means nothing. You know, and the emotion right. of the opponent has nothing to do with it. You're basically the only difference, the only way that keys into the game is that as you play cards from your hand, you don't draw back up unless you get that little balance track back to zero. So you uh, ideally try to get back to zero in, at the end of every turn when you stop, because you can carry on as long as you want before you pass it on. But if you're using cards from your opponent's hand, you're giving them less options. So that's where that whole cooperative bit lies. And that was probably my favorite bit, the fact that you had this aspect of, I want to use your card, but I hope I'm not screwing you over. The Grizzled is similar okay. in that respect, where you want to play one of your threat cards in the center, but you don't know whether that's just completely screwed somebody else up. And that bit works but yeah the, it, it just underwhelmed me a bit last year at Essen I think every game that I played in the evening I didn't like so if you'd have asked me this question a year ago <laughs> I would have talked for about an hour about all the games I played in an evening that I really really didn't like but this year no I only played the two games and enjoyed them both what about you Jacob anything that you didn't like yeah for me um I played one and it, the game may be great but honestly I have no idea because the demo is so horrible um, and that was Kumo Hogosha. I have no idea how to pronounce that thing. And this was actually the tweet that started it all, too. Um, I said I had the worst demo I've ever received uh, or seen. And it was of this game. I still have no idea how to play it because the dude just left us. Um, so my friend and I tried playing it for a little bit. And then we didn't understand what the heck to do. So we just got up and left.
viewers, what Jacob's referring to is that the reason I wanted to get both of them on this podcast in the first place was a tweet that Jacob said about uh, a bad demo that we've had. Paul obviously does demos like this on a regular basis, and I've done demos as a volunteer with Games Quest, but mainly I just... Uh, oh, and Dice Portsmouth, I've done a few for those. So it, I enjoy it, but I don't do it on an official capacity. But the problem that we had was that some demos will go well, some will not. It's very much a hit-and-miss affair, so it seemed like a good idea to basically discuss what we thought about the demos and whether we had any tips for how to do good ones or any experiences with really bad ones. Not just at Essen, but in general. But Essen's a good way to get a focal point from it. Well, Essen's a, a difficult one, especially for the people who are demoing a lot and are really tired and lose their voice within a few hours and there's all the people and there's pressure it's not an easy thing to do you know teaching your friends who come round on a friday night how to play a game you could say you know there are people who are good at that and people who are not so good at that doing it solidly for 4 days in a noisy environment with lots and lots of people when you're really tired everybody has their good good days and off days and you might find somebody say oh we had this demo of such and such a game by this guy and it wasn't very good and then other people go well we had the demo of the same game by the same guy and we thought it was okay it could have just been in the afternoon you know he lost all of his energy or something like that um so yeah you get people who are good at it and people are bad at it but people who are good at it sometimes they'll have an off one depending on situations yeah, I can sympathise with that because it does get tiring after a while. You start losing your voices. You're repeating the same thing for yeah. hours on on end. So yeah, I certainly don't think of it as a easy job. And to be fair, Essen, you've got to get your voice above everybody else, which means you're effectively shouting. So there goes your voice even more. You know, drinking gallons of water just to speak to people. Um, but there was certainly certain times where I mean, most of the demos I had were actually fairly good. There were one or two occasions where it dropped down a bit and there was one that was just god awful but it, it does raise a few tips that would we'd certainly have for publishers when they're setting up their demo booths as opposed to the person actually giving the demo certainly for what the publisher would have set out in the first uh, place depends on the publisher um yeah i mean it's difficult because you know you've got your publishers and you've got maybe a dozen tables and you get in all of these people to help you i, ge- I don't i don't think there is time to get the the 10 staff that you're going to have in you know for two days before go through everything with them get them to demo the game back to you to check that they're any good or not and then if they're terrible well you do your the doors are about to open you can't you can't suddenly say oh okay you've agreed to do this for three days actually we've just found out you're absolutely awful at it you know what what do you do so it it's not like they're full-time employees they're they're generally people that have offered to do it well, how long do they get? How long do you typically get in advance to learn the rules of a game? Ask Jacob. Jacob's got more experience of the short-term things than, than I have. Yeah, um, this was my second Essen, and last Essen I demoed for two companies, and one company had us. Um, I mean, they told us what games they were playing, and, and their rules were posted somewhere. I don't learn games from reading rules, though, and they had. Um, a day before where we came in and learned all the games. Now, we didn't demo it to anyone to see if we were actually any good, but we got to play the game so we could actually see if we understood how to play the game. 
Yeah, that's more of a killer than anything else because I can accept that you'll have your bad days and they'll, you know, some people may be good or bad at it or it just may be like, oh, I'm a bit under the weather and that. But there was a lot of times, particularly, and, you know, this is not a name and shame, it's just this is what experience was, particularly with Stronghold games because they had, I can't remember, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about seven, t- eight tables max with lots of different games over them, some that I'm actually curious as to why they were actually demoing them, because they were released quite a long time ago. Uh, But the constant thing that I kept hearing from staff, not just Estranjo, there was other people as well, but it was always a case of, oh, I don't necessarily know how to play this, or I've only done it the once, but we'll give it a go. And I'm standing there thinking, surely if you're going to demo this game, you've played it or are actually going to know the rules or at least have some kind of variety amongst the staff because if you've got 10 staff working for you and you've basically only taught one game to each of the 10 staff you're really limiting your uh diversification there you know you can't really gel or be flexible you're just basically saying this one person has learned this one game otherwise god help you yeah and that you know if i went to a booth and that's what somebody said to me i'd be like well hang on a minute you're you're working here, you know. It, it's your job to help us, kind of thing. But I I see it from a, you know, a slightly different angle. Um, and the stalls that I work at, because I do a lot of work for Czech Games Edition, I know all of their games. So I I've, I've never been in the position where somebody would say, "Oh, this game's set up, and you you're wearing that T-shirt. Come and teach us this game." And I say, "I'm sorry, I I don't actually know this game, but I'll find somebody." Well, I think if you say, "I don't know this game," But wait there, 10 seconds, I'll go and find somebody who does. That's okay. Yeah, that, I think. that's the typical thing that you're taught when you're doing customer service work in, you know, when yeah, you're working in Argos and Asters. I, I'm I'll sorry, find I, somebody who will. Yeah, I can't help you with your query, sir. However, bear with me, and then you go find the person who's good at it. But yeah, there was just far too many occasions where they didn't, and everybody hates learning a game from the rule book. I mean, if I'm te- I, I buy a lot of games, whether it's for review or my own personal collection. But before I take them to a games club, I go through the rules, even if either through a solo game. So if it's got a solitaire mode, even better. But you know, I will at least play like a dummy game with two or three player hands, like working at the same time, so I can at least get the rules down in my head. Particularly with some of the heavier Euro ones, because I know just how horrible it is when somebody is pretty much teaching you the game from the rule book, barely understanding it themselves, and it takes you longer to learn it than it does to actually play it. And as you say, if they're wearing the T-shirt, sometimes okay, they may be volunteers, like you know, they're not necessarily working full time for the publisher. But surely if they are in a position where they can actually volunteer for this kind of thing, then can't they learn more than one game? I mean, Stronghold Games, what do they have? They had Dark Moon, I can play that. They had, yeah, they had quite a few. And I know I could play about three of the games they had, like their older stuff. Yeah, 504, Porta Negra, Dark Moon. 
golden ages yeah they had quite a few they so. had quite a few but their other problem which is probably like the second point is that they didn't have enough demos of the games that were of the hotness because they yeah. had Dark Moon, New Dawn, and possibly Among the Stars, I'm not sure. Um, there was certainly one of the others there. 504 was set up. Yeah, 504, Port and Eager, and Golden Ages were there, which is fine, because they were the new ones, and 504 and Port and Eager were certainly the hotness. Yeah. But the other three were there, and I wasn't entirely sure why as such, because there was a lot of table space devoted to those games, but they've been out for like a year, at least, most of them. Dark Moon, probably a bit less. But certainly New Dawn was last year, because I got it on the Kickstarter. And right. Among the Stars, you know, um, was it Among the Stars? I can't remember what their third one was, but it was it was an older game that had been out for at least a year. Maybe they needed to help help sales. Maybe sales of that particular game were not going particularly well, and they needed to... You know, I know some publishers that were demoing games from two years ago, because they've still got a thousand copies sat in their warehouse. So... You know, they can't just leave them in the warehouse. If they've got a table, let, let's get it out and let's teach some new people. I'd, I'd be uh, more prone to just that, have it on display rather than demo it, though, because they did have some older games there that weren't being demoed, like uh, Vitale Deserters, like CO2 game. That's a game I've been trying to get for a while just because after playing Kanban, I want to check out his other stuff. They probably only had a few copies there, but I didn't need to be demoed it. It's like, oh, I'll right. grab it while it's there. And some of the older stuff could have that, but... The amount of t- I couldn't get into a demo of 504, despite having visited the stand about 20 times, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to get there at a stage when people were just finishing a game, because 504 is not a short one. And then when there was finally a chance to sit down and play 504, not only was I a little bit more strapped for time, because I had to, I think this was on the very last day, and we agreed to meet up, but this was when I got the classic thing of, oh, it's not a game I'm used to but we can give it a shot it's like oh no we can't (laughs) I don't have much time demos are meant to be quick I don't have time to learn the game with you (laughs) you're meant to teach that and Ludi Creations had a similar problem with the uh, kindergarten what do they call Operation Kindergarten game because you had to book that one in old, you had to book slots to play on their demo tables because they only had three which is fair enough small booth but, you know, I go to the trouble of going, right, you know, one thirty. I'm going to come back and I want to learn Operation Kindergarten because after hearing Eric Summer bang on about it in the Dice Tower Live show, it's like, okay, i got to give this one a look because theme-wise it just sounds hilarious. And I get there, sit down. I've got two people, a father and a son, who are mostly German, uh, you know, spoke a little English. And the guy's there reading the rule book. And I'm just thinking, like, okay, are we starting soon? You know, what's going on? And he's having to read the rulebook because he's never played it before because apparently the bloke who does was on break. And you'd booked a slot. Yeah, I booked a slot to come okay. and demo this game. And nobody... Okay. I mean, I, I granted, I bet you can't have fixed breaks. It's going to be varied in that. You can. You can have fixed okay, breaks. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'll speak for there. But... Yeah, company, companies should have fixed breaks. It's two o'clock. You're going for your break. You need to be back at one because we've got somebody... Luke's coming in, you know what he's like. You know, <laughs> you can you can do that. You can organize it. Like that. But, just but needs... Ludi Creations, like various of the publishers, got a photo of me on there. So it's like, do not do not demo <laughs> this man. It's like, <laughs> but, oh, but that just I just got up and thought, right, you barely understand it. It's not the most intuitive game in the world because it does look a bit of a mess when you get the board and all the tokens out. 
I've got two people opposite me who, you know, bless their souls, don't speak much English. And, you know, I speak even less German. So, you know, we knew where this was going. I just made an excuse, said, you know, I think you'll find it easier with three of you. I need to be somewhere soon anyway. And, you know, just courteously left. But what was the point of booking the slot? <laughs> Have someone there. And they only had three demo tables anyway. I think they only had about, well, technically a couple extra if you count the... That's like, uh, and then we held hands, you know. The and I think there was one other micro game, but micro games. I mean, anybody can learn a micro game in no time at all. And those demos are over and done with in five to ten minutes. But other than that, they just had, I think, two tables for demoing an actual Ludi Creations game. So you'd think there'd be one person who knew how to play the one that they were banging on about on display. Especially when Eric Summer is going on about it. Suddenly, as soon as he, as soon as anybody from the Dice Tower talks about a game, it's already generated buzz. So, Jacob, you you had a bad demo? Yeah, that uh, that game from Morning Players. It was just pretty much atrocious. The guy came over, and he's clearly French, but uh, he speaks English, and he, he knows the words. It was just not necessarily uh, the grammar. But that's fine. I can deal with that. Uh, but then the very beginning of his demo, oh, my gosh, it was horrible. He talked so quietly in Essen you cannot talk quietly at all because then you won't hear nobody will hear you and he talked so quietly that my friend and I both had to like lean in to see to hear anything that he was saying right and he demoed this game uh, in about uh, the explanation maybe took five minutes um I don't know how long the game actually is supposed to be, but five minutes for any game that's over 30 minutes is probably not enough to really let them understand what's going on. Yeah. I have a feeling I found your game, because I thought when you said morning players, I've done a bit of a search. Was your game called Kumo Hogosha? Yes. Right, yeah, that's the, that's the one that is a 30-minute game, two to four players quite a fair bit of explanation about it but yeah certainly not something that i would imagine you would teach in five minutes it was really kind of sad because my friend really wanted to demo it he was hoping to possibly get it for his family he thought it looked cool and then you know we're trying to play it according to the rules that he was explaining and he's like okay i'll be right back so then he takes off and we had a question, so we snagged someone else and that's fine too that happens you have a bunch of tables you got to get around and and explain to as many of them as possible. So then he ends up gone, like literally just gone. I don't even know where he was. Um, after we asked the one question, those people left, and then we had another one, and we couldn't find anybody. <laughs> like We even tried to get their attention. We're like, hello, hello, hello. It was an utter failure of a demo. And then that's... Sorry? Oh, sorry, that same guy ended up uh, demoing side to me. Oh dear God! <laughs> oh, that made me so sad. Uh, I mean, it's not all bad. I mean, we ran on about the, the the bad ones. Some people do get it right, and it is refreshing yeah. when that happens. I'll certainly give a shout out to uh, Lot Pellet. I'm, uh, I'm completely strangled. Uh, yeah, I'm completely strangled yeah. the uh, <laughs> pronunciation probably. But they, I only had enough time to demo a game briefly over there, and I thought, well, let's get into Mule. 
because I'd never played the old Commodore game. I knew it was getting buzzed because of it, and it certainly looked worth a shot because I do like a lot of their other stuff. I love Nations and uh, bought Perfect Alibi to give it a try, and you know, generally I thought, oh, well, let's give it a shot. Looks looks pretty looks pretty good. We I think played about two to three rounds, but the guy very patient, very chatty. And bless him, he had to explain to four of us, of which I'm there, and so are three Japanese players, two of which don't speak pretty, probably like 5% English. Um, and his mate was basically translating what he was saying to them. So it was almost like explaining the rules twice, which I'm, I'm okay with, because after all language barriers, you are going to get this. But the guy was very good at explaining very clearly very calmly despite knowing that he had to wait for everyone to translate everything and we got through two rounds of play and you know the game actually does have a fair amount to learn there was a fair amount to grasp in but he answered questions he stuck around i think he only left briefly just to answer a quick query from his boss you know altogether that's how i want a demo to be yeah no that sounds that sounds that sounds good i mean being enthusiastic is is one of the things. So one of the things I was going to touch on is that obviously publishers, they've got the 10, 15 tables, whatever. They need help. So they, they put a shout out and people can go there, do demos and get a couple of games as, as payment for doing demos. And who knows what these people are like? You know, they might just go, oh, I've got a few hours free. I'll, I'll, I'll do a demo of a game and I'll I'll get a free game out of it. And they might just be doing it for that reason alone. They might not be very good at giving the demo. But enthusiasm is is one of the things which no you know, whether you know the rules of the game or not, if you're enthusiastic about the game, that's gonna rub off on people. Yeah, I mean this is how I tend to teach anyway, having especially if it's got a theme. I mean, even if I'm almost going a bit over the top, like over the top acting, I'll try and ham up the theme to a little extent because I don't want to teach you a bunch of mechanics because you're just going to, your eyes are going to glaze over and you'll lose interest. You know, teaching Kanban is incredibly difficult. I'll certainly give you credit, Paul, for trying to be able to teach that one because <laughs> I tried to teach it afterwards and I realized, oh, blimey, this is a difficult one to get the rules out. But because the theme was straw in it, I just basically went with, right, well, let's teach it by way of theme rather than mechanics, and then it just intuitively worked from that point. Obviously, you can't do that with every game, but certainly because they could see I was enthusiastic about it, it helps to teach it. If your guy sounds like a robot teaching a game because he's just doing it because he's there and getting paid by games or whichever, then, you know, where, how are we going to get into a game if you don't sound like you're into it yourself? Yeah. And the other thing is, is as you mentioned, you, you know, there are, there are things that you should do. I mean, obviously, everybody's got their own style of how they demo a game. But you should start with the theme, what the game's about, how you win, and then off you go from there. You don't start by saying, right, on your turn, you've got a choice of four actions. What? Hang on a minute. What's the game about? We're, you know, we've no idea. So, yeah, you've got to start, start, with the very, start with the basics to get them in, see if they're interested. I mean, I... I was demoing through the ages for four days. I love it. I absolutely loved it. I didn't feel that it was work whatsoever. I've been teaching people how to play that game for nine years. I know the game like the back of my hand, and I love teaching it, and I love teaching any game, but a game which I know so well and can and can teach it relatively easily, um, some of the other CGE guys were going, oh, wow, this is great. I, I've no idea. I wouldn't know where to you know, start teaching this game. 
And some of them had only learnt it maybe a year ago. Whereas, as I say, I've got nine years' experience with, with the game. Um, and I have a certain way of teaching through the ages that's it's been tried and tested and it works. And for a heavy game, possibly one of the heaviest games at Essen of this year, I get people up and running within a few minutes. Within a few minutes, we're playing the game and we're doing the first round. Because there isn't, you know, if, if I was to sit down and explain the 20, 25 minutes of rules, everybody's either asleep or wandered off. So the trick with demoing, as opposed to teaching your mates when they come around how to play, is get people playing as soon as, as, soon as possible. That makes sense, because I mean, you taught me this one at GridCon as well when it was in this almost like half production stage and I've tried to learn the third edition of this and could not manage it by just going through the rule book and even though like I'm, that two player game I was in took several hours we were playing every rule I think or certainly yeah. 90% of them and yeah you know it worked fine but it's just when I say I felt your pain I just thought blimey the amount of rules for this and the people that are at Essen I thought how on earth are you teaching yeah. this in the space of say 30 well, uh, minutes for a demo <laughs> yeah well, when I, when I taught you at Manicon, that was more teaching me mates how to play the game. That wasn't what I did at Essen. At Essen, it was a demo of the game. I knew it was only going to last three or four rounds. I knew I wasn't going to explain all of the rules. And literally, I said, right, here's the card row. Player one, you're allowed to pick one of those five cards. And I, did, and I said, look, I'm not even going to tell you what the cards do. Just pick the one with the prettiest artwork. There you go. Have that one. Right. That's a wonder. I'll now explain how wonders work. And and literally, it was like that through the whole process. And I found that for a game like Through the Ages, where your only intention is to play three or four rounds to give people an idea of how it goes, you can do that. You know, there's no way whenever I'm teaching my friends how to play a game that I would say, pick one of those cards. I'm not going to tell you what any of them do until after you've picked it. That, that does not work for, for a normal game. That sounds like a good way of doing it, actually. Saying, oh, pick the one that just sort of appeals to you and then saying this is how it works. Cause... Yeah, and then I'll tell you what, because they're all good. So just just pick which one you want and and then I'll explain. And then the next player, right, you you now pick a card. Which one do you want? Oh, you want that one? Right, I'll explain how that works. And uh, yeah, I, I did that for four days and it, it worked quite well. So. Well, what about you, Jago? Obviously, you were there all the time doing Bezier, and you you knew how to play Terror. You obviously knew how to play Favor of the Pharaoh, because I think you were teaching my uh, Games Quest buddies literally behind me at the time with that game. And you had at least another one. You had at least another one or two titles there. From yeah, oh yeah, you had Castles of Mad King Log with Secrets, and I think one other or something. So you know, I mean, what's your style? My style is uh, meeting the group wherever they are. Uh, I I don't demo super tough games, super long games, super in-depth. I will probably never demo Through the Ages because it melts my brain and I can't even imagine how Paul does it. But you give me a medium game, even a light game, and I'm going to look at your group and I'm going to see, I'm going to do little like tests to see what kind of a demo you want. Some people purely want rules. They don't want to really have a discussion with you. They don't want to do anything other than I want to know how to play so that I can play and you can leave. So then I do that. But other groups, um, they like to have a little bit of a fun with it. So I make a little bit of a joke. When I was doing Terra, I was talking about how there's no zero on the scoreboard. And I always started off by saying, okay, you know, if you want to play European style, you put your score cubes off the board because you haven't earned anything yet. But if you want to play American style, 
you put your cube on the one because just for participating, you've already won something. In Through the Ages, I was naming the yellow cubes. Yeah. So it was like, right, so this guy over here, this this is Terry. This is a farmer, okay? And, and, <laughs> and I used that for four days solid. Mm-hmm. And some people chuckled and it, it helps. Yeah. It just it just makes it makes the experience I think a little bit more enjoyable. But Paul, I'm sure you've seen some of those people that you said this guy's Terry and then you look around at the table on yeah. everyone like, What is this dude talking about? Can he Yeah, just, this is supposed to be not, a serious game and he, he's having a joke calling the scientist what's Derek. Happening. What's going on? Right. So then you you know, you have to adjust your style some. You can't have one thing that you're doing every single time and it's and think it's going to work. Yeah. You, you have to adjust it some, um, not drastically or anything, but I, I did that joke with Tara and it's a cheesy joke and it's a bad joke and I'm okay with it. But I, I had this group that just okay. stared at me like, what an idiot. Right. I'm like, okay, here are the rules. And I will tell you exactly the rules. I will be super dry. I will play around with you so you understand exactly how it is, but I won't make yeah. any other jokes. Okay, let's move on. And then I will leave you and hope that I never play games with you again. It's like, <laughs> it like sense of humor is kind of a, a mandatory requirement. <laughs> and then I had another group. Um, they're from Sweden, and I demoed them last year a couple different games. And they found me again this year and wanted me to demo Terra to them. So I did. And we were laughing through the whole thing. Right. Terra is not a funny game in the slightest. But they left probably with a better impression of that game than yeah. most people so yeah so it's being able would. to read the other people is a, is a skill and then mm-hmm. changing your own style of delivery in order to fit in with with those people yeah because reading them is one thing but if you don't change anything i mean i think i had something similar point? last year with alchemist i was throwing in lots of humor with alchemist basically taken straight from the rule book putting that in the game and yeah, some some groups were were not getting it at all. Whether it was the language barrier or the way I was delivering it, or as you say, they they may not have been interested in in any of the human. They just wanted to know how to play. So um, yeah, that's a good point. So everything we've talked about is really useful because UK Games Expo next year. Now I've been at UK Games Expo on behalf of CG for the last four years, five years, and we've had a small booth where I've got a couple of my friends who I know, A, know the games, they're friends of mine, so I can trust them, and they're pretty good at at teaching and doing demos. They've helped me out. UK Games Expo next year, we're growing the CGE booth to possibly three times the size that it was. So all of these things we've talked about, I'm suddenly going to have to take on more responsibility. I'm going to be in charge of possibly five or six demo tables, have to get people to do that, so it's been really useful talking about that because I've now got to do it from the other side. I've got to be making sure I give people the breaks, making sure I get the water, making sure I've got the right people. I'm still asking friends to do it, but I will make sure those friends are trained beforehand. They know how to play the game, and I, I will I will do all of that. I'll do I'll do the best I can. But yeah, it's going to be um, a bit of a challenge next year. Well, even if you know, you just point them to the rule book and your videos for the ones that you've done. That's true. It at least gives them yeah. two different ways that they could possibly learn the game. Yeah. Well, when when the plan for Gen Con next year um, is, you know, depending on how much space we get, but I think CG are going to put me in charge of the demo team. And it's going to be my responsibility to make sure 
the, the demo team is running properly. And it will be a case of, yeah, right, one of the games we're teaching is Prodigal's Club. Here's the video. If you don't watch this video, if you don't put nine minutes of your life aside to watch this how to play video, then I'm sorry you're not demoing for us. Um, and, you know, as long as they turn up with, oh yeah, I saw the video and I've read the rule book and I know how to play, that's great. But turning up with no preparation is like, yeah, they've got to do a bit of something. Yeah, and make make your expectations clearly known to the demoers. Because when you show up and you have no idea right. what people expect of you, how are you supposed to really prepare for that? I did get that impression, I must admit, from Grey Fox. I might might be wrong on this one, but my co- I went there with my colleague at the time he was about to do his shift because I wanted to try out Champions of Midgard even though I was going to buy it anyway. So it was quite amusing that he stands by and watches us play whilst I'm in the actual game being demoed by one of the actual workers there. But the thing is, is that my colleague didn't know how to... I think he basically knew the rule book, sort of. I think he'd had like a brief glimpse of the rules, but I don't think there was much preparation like given to him beforehand. So most of what he was learning had to come from us actually playing the game, just to reinforce the knowledge. And I'm not entirely certain he was fully aware exactly what the expectation was when he turned up as such. I mean, to be fair, Champions of Midgard is an easiest game. I could have probably demoed it afterwards after playing one game of it. And, yeah, it, some publishers probably do need to almost, even though these are volunteers, treat them just like you would probably your employee. And if that's how you normally treat your employee, then, oh, God help you. But <laughs> but that's it. You, you've covered the, 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 the two completely opposite ways. He's like, oh, hello, Luke. You've agreed to demo for us. Right. Here's this game you've never seen before. The hall opens in 10 minutes. Off you go. And you're going to demo it for it. That's one way of doing it. And I'm sure some publishers do that. The other way of doing it is finding out in advance, ah, right, Luke's going to demo for us. Right, so two weeks before, I will contact Luke, I will send him the rules for the game, I'll make sure he's read it, I'll then have a Skype conversation with him, and I'll make sure he knows how to play, then I'll I'll let him know in advance exactly what he's doing, and then when he turns up, he's fully ready to go, and it all goes smoothly. And everybody's probably somewhere in the middle of that. Okay, you've heard it there, folks. So that is probably an extended episode compared to the norm, but it's Essen. It deserves a good talk, and as you all already know, this is the first time that anybody other than me has appeared on this podcast. So hopefully, if you've got bored of hearing the sound of my Somerset accent, you can at least hear, you know, <laughs> technically a Somerset, well, Devon accent, an American. Oh, I wouldn't have it's- said Devon. No, not Devon? No, it's still, it's, it's not quite Devon. I've been down here for six years now, but... Um, from all the people down here, I'm still northern. Fair, well, fair enough, northern. is there Anybody in basically, well, north for me is anything above Portsmouth, to be honest, at this point, which is a lot, <laughs> which is a lot of north. But, Nat, it's been great doing this. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to our rants and raves about Essen and how taking on their tips about demos. Maybe you want to do it for yourself in the future. If so, good on you. I'll probably look into this myself next year as well for the next Essen because now that I've done it, I can afford to cut the time a little bit. But no, Essen was an absolute blast and I will be there in 2016 and I'm pretty sure Paul and Jacob will be as well. So it's time to wrap this episode up. It's me, Jacob and Paul. You've been listening to The Broken Meeple. Take care. Catch you guys later. 
I appreciate the time that my special guests have committed to this episode, so don't forget to follow them on Twitter. Paul Grogan you can find at GamingRulesVids, all one word with G, R and V as capital letters, and you can also find Jacob on Twitter at JacobJKoon, that's Coon with two O's and all one word lowercase. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to The Broken Meeple. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to check out more of my work, you can find my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple, and also check out my Facebook page. The music used in this podcast has been kindly provided by CMA Music. I'm Luke Hector, you take care, and enjoy the hobby.